Uh, well, this morning, I'm going to continue in the series that we've been in over the last several weeks. Uh, we kicked off the series, The Proverbial Life, as we are walking through the book of Proverbs. We're going to continue to do that uh, through the rest of the summer. And as we said, the book of Proverbs is filled with God's wisdom. All this wisdom that God has given. And we understand that God created all things. Like he had a plan. He had a purpose. And our calling is not to live out our own wisdom. It's to submit to his wisdom. What is his plan? What is his definitions of how we should live our lives? And instead of fighting it against it, we come into uh, obedience and surrender to it. And this morning, we're going to look at a very, very specific topic. And, and it's very relevant because it's very prevalent in our culture. And the topic we're going to look at this morning is alcohol. Alcohol. Now, when I say that, half of the room is probably saying, why are we talking about this? Greg, it's sin. No Christian should be a part of that. And the other half of the room is saying, why are we talking about this? It's just a drink. And we have to recognize that in the same room, we can have lots of perspectives. We can have lots of perspectives. And those pers perspectives come from a lot of different places. Some of those come from our upbringing. Some of those come from the family that we're a part of. Some of those come from culture and the way the world talks about something. Some of those come from experiences you've had people in your life. Some of those come from your understanding of scripture. Some of those come from a variety of situations. Even your denominational tradition that you've been a part of can influence your understanding of that. Back in week number one, remember week number one, we talked about a very, very important phrase in the book of Proverbs. What is it? The fear of the Lord. We contrasted the fear of God, the fear of God, which is a very general sense, to the fear of the Lord, which is very specific. What is fear? Fear is submission. Submission to God, not just some generic idea, but the God of Scripture, the God who has given us a picture of who he is and what he desires and expects for us. This is what we're called to. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a topic that is prevalent in our culture, and we're going to say, what does God have to actually say about this? We're not going to look at what do you think about it, what do I think about it, what does your mama think about it, what does culture say about it, what does God actually say about it. And, and we're going to take a very, very robust view. I'm going to look, Proverbs has a lot to say about it, but actually the whole of Scripture has a lot to say about it. So you're like, why are we talking about this? It's not because I want to talk about it, it's because Scripture has a lot to say about it. And, and we here as a congregation, we don't want to be hypocrites, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be somebody who says, I follow Jesus, I surrender to Jesus, but then there's these different areas of my life that I don't actually care what he has to say about it, right? That I say, no, in that area, I'm just going to do what I want or what everybody else does. No, I want to say, what does God actually say about it, and then how can I submit to that? And so we're going to look a lot of scripture. There's a lot of scripture this morning, because I don't want you to get my opinion this morning. I want you to understand what scripture has to say about it. And I guarantee you, at the end of this message, you may have more questions than you have answers. And I'm okay with that. Because sometimes in our faith, we want black and white when really God is calling us to wrestle something. And my prayer is that every single one of us would take this topic and we would wrestle this topic with the Holy Spirit. And allow the Holy Spirit to lead and to speak to our lives. Okay? That's my calling for this morning. All right? So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9, beginning in verse number one, all right? And would you stand with me across the room? Again, nothing sacred about Santa. It's just what we do to honor God's word, to say, God, we care more about what you have to say than what I have to say, all right? Proverbs chapter nine, beginning in verse number one, says this. Wisdom has built her house, 
She has set up its seven pillars, and seven being the, the symbol and the number of perfection, all right? This whole idea. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. I want to turn to one other verse in Proverbs chapter, 10, or chapter 20, verse 1, if you want to turn there real quick. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says this. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Let's pray. Father, we want to hear from you today. I don't want any of man's opinions. I want your word to come through today. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would lead and guide us. And for every one of us, this matters because this is symbolic of so many areas in our life where we oftentimes fall under our own perceptions. And Lord, we need to be those who are truly not, we don't just say we are following the Holy Spirit. We say we are empowered. God, we actually submit to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. So God, would you lead every single one of us into deeper commitment to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. My question for you, how many of you are old enough uh, to remember a time when you used to actually have to know how to get places? Remember that? You used to have to know how to get, it was weird. Like you didn't have a smartphone. You had to know how to get there, right? And before there was smartphones, there was MapQuest. Remember MapQuest? Like when you needed to get somewhere, you typed it in MapQuest, and then you printed out a piece of paper, and you carried it with you in the car. You remember that? Okay, and then before MapQuest, there was like a real map, <laughs> a real map and you had to look at a map but back then before you had the smartphones like nowadays if you have a party and you want to invite people over your house you just put the address and everybody types it in their phone and they want to get there before we had any of this stuff you had to actually give directions in your invitation like you send an invitation to people you had to write here's how you get to my house like here's how you get right and some people are good at that and some people were awful at that, right? And so there were times when I would go into a party, and I remember I'm like in a subdivision. I'm like, where's their house? Like, I literally don't know where the house is. I read the directions. It makes no sense, you know? And so for me, I love clarity. I love when somebody can actually be clear, when they can explain things and make it very simple and understandable for you. And when it comes to the topic of alcohol, Scripture is very clear about a few things, okay? There's a couple things that Scripture is very clear about. What are those things? One of the things is that drunkenness is a sin. Very clear. There's no questions about that. Over and over and over again in Scripture, it makes it very clear. It says it this way in Galatians. Galatians uh, chapter 5 says this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Goes on in the list. Lists a bunch of stuff. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Very, very clear. Over and over, I could have listed a lot of passages that refer to drunkenness. So that's very clear. Not any question about this. There's another topic that's very clear when it comes to alcohol, and that has to do with this idea of things controlling you, having control over you. And Scripture says we shouldn't allow anything to have control over us. It isn't just drunkenness that's listed. Something else that's listed is gluttony. What is glut? Is food bad? No. When food has control of you, that's when it's bad. That's when it becomes sin. Gluttony is a sin. But it goes on because the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control, right? Where other things don't have control of me, no. I have self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. That's what God desires for every single one of us. All right, so that's another area that's clear. There's another area that's clear, 
that if you're under 21, you shouldn't drink. Why? It's the law of the land. I don't care if you agree with it, you disagree. I don't care what you say. Well, hey, but in other countries, if you're, you know, 18, you can drink. That's great in other countries. In our country, the law of the land says that you don't drink when you're under 21. It's just a reality. And what does it say in Romans? Romans says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. It's kind of clear. Scripture talks about that one. But when you go to the whole of alcohol, Scripture isn't as clear. Because I just read you two verses when we stood and read, and one of them seemed to paint wine as a blessing, and one of them seemed to paint it as that you're stupid if you engage with alcohol. So which one is it? All right. Well, there's... Uh, this has been a topic that's been debated for centuries, honestly. It's been something that people have wrestled with uh, for centuries. And there's a, a, a group and, and a, a significant portion of people who would try to attempt to protect people or to protect kids from alcohol by, by saying, hey, this isn't something you should engage in, but unfortunately using really, really bad arguments. All right? And so I'm going to list some of the bad arguments. Maybe you've heard some of these arguments before. One of the bad arguments is this, is that alcohol is inherently evil and therefore the Bible forbids it. If there was scripture that said that, then I would open the Bible and just read it for you and then boom, easy. Done with the sermon. I'm already done with it. But there isn't the verse that says that. Okay? And so why is it wrong to use this as an argument? Here's the problem. Is it your kids and the people in your life that will use that argument with? One day, they're going to be big people who can read the Bible themselves. And when they realize that you've been lying to them about something, they're going to begin to question everything that you've talked to them about when it comes to Scripture. All right? And so we, we have to be careful what we say. Is that something that you may want to invest into your kids as wisdom for your children? Absolutely. But when we proclaim things that the Scripture doesn't say, we're on very scary territory, and we're not building a firm foundation for our kids. Okay? All right, so that's a bad argument. There's another bad argument that there are different words for wine in the Bible. Right? Well, there are different words for wine in the Bible. There's actually several words in the Hebrew and in the Greek for, for wine. And some of those words, you might make the argument, well, some of those words mean crushed grapes and not alcoholic wine, as we would talk about it. And that's possibly true. Okay? It's possibly true that there are some instances of that. But the vast majority is not in reference to that. And the context of the scriptures over and over again prove that out. So that's just not a good argument to say, well, therefore, oh, it just means crushed grape. It doesn't mean wine like we talk about. Another argument that's out there that is used to say, well, the alcoholic content of the drinks that we drink today is so much stronger than the alcoholic content of the drinks that were drank at one point in time. Now, once again, that's true, right? They didn't have Everclear, okay? They didn't have 95% alcohol. They didn't, all right? And so that's true, but it is also true that the alcohol that gets spoken of clearly could get someone drunk. And so while we need to be more cautious and careful, and it is possibly more dangerous, it isn't the excuse to say, therefore, never allow it to touch. That's not a good argument based on that. The fourth argument is this one, and I love this one, is that your body is the temple of the living God. Therefore, you should never allow alcohol to touch your lips. And the people that sometimes will profess this are the same ones who went to McDonald's three times last week and got a Big Mac. Okay? So I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's good for you. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying if you're going to use that as your argument, then you better throw out anything that has the potential of being harmful. If you're not eating just vegetables, you're making a bad argument. I'm just saying that's not a good argument. And so what I want to do is I want to look at what does Scripture actually say. 
Not what I think, not what do you think, not what does everybody else think. What does scripture say about this thing that clearly is prevalent in our culture? And then let's listen to that and follow that, all right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a bunch of scriptures. Understand, I'm going to go through a ton of scripture here today. So we're going to start by saying, what does it say? And some of the things that the scriptures say are put it in a positive light, okay? So it says this. Many places says that it's a gift from God. Alcohol and wine can be a gift from God. It says this in Genesis chapter uh, 27. It says, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. It also says it in, in uh, Psalm 104. It says this, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth good from the earth, wine that gladdens humans' hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. So some positive light, all right? There's other places where it uses wine as a metaphor for blessing and positive things in your life. What does it say? Isaiah 25 says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. It goes on in Proverbs 3, verse 9, says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Then there's also in the book of Numbers. Numbers talks about things that we bring to the Lord as an offering. There's all these lists of offerings, and one of the types of offerings that we bring to the Lord in the Old Testament is what? A drink offering of wine. And this is why I said the argument of it's inherently evil, therefore, if it was inherently evil, we probably, in the Old Testament, they shouldn't have been offering it as a worship act to God, all right? And so, therefore, it's put in a positive light there. It's something that you would offer to God. You get to the New Testament, and Timothy and Paul are having a conversation. Some of you are aware of this in the letter uh, to Timothy, where, where Paul says, listen, Timothy, you've got some stomach issues. So he talks about the medicinal value of alcohol. And he says, Timothy, quit just drinking water. You need to have a little bit of wine with it because you're having some stomach issues. But there's another instance in the book of Timothy where it says this, uh, where Tim, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy and describing the leaders in the church. The leaders in the church. He's talking to deacons. And what does he say? In the same way, deacons who are leaders in the church are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. If there's ever a place where Paul could have said, hey, don't touch it. Leaders should not touch it. This would be the place. But he doesn't say that. He says they shouldn't indulge in too much wine. Okay. Something for us to think about. All right. So we look at those passages, and I could have listed a whole lot more. We don't have time to go through all those things. But I got a question for you. How many have ever told a half-truth? Raise your hand if you've ever told a half-truth. If your hand's not up, you just told a whole lie, okay? <laughs> you did. We've all told a half-truth. <laughs> We've all done that. We've all said the part that we want you to hear. We don't say, the, you know, teenagers, you've done this. You, you did this when you were younger, right? Hey, mom and dad, I want to go stay at my buddy's house and have a sleepover. Sweet. You didn't tell them that their parents aren't going to be there. You didn't tell them your friends are going to be there. You didn't tell them your boyfriend or girlfriend was going to be there. You just told them the stuff that they wanted to hear, right? We're all guilty of that at times. So if you take what I've just shared and the understanding of Scripture, you might say to yourself, well, the Bible seems to think of wine in a positive way, right? It seems to advocate it, so what's the problem? It's a good thing, okay? We all know that's not necessarily the case. So I, I'm going to ask for another question here in a moment. I'm going to ask for complete participation in this next one. I need you. If your neighbor fell asleep, I need participation from everyone in this one. Okay? In a moment, not right now, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I want you to raise your hand if you or someone you care about has 
reaped negative consequences or been negatively affected in some way due to alcohol. Whether that is addiction, it's gone through treatment, it's resulted in divorce, poor situation. I'm going to have you raise your hand in a second. Sorry. Whether it's caused death, whatever it is, any negative consequence as a result of alcohol, you or someone you care about, raise your hand as high as you can. Keep your hands up and look around the room. All right. You put your hands down. All right. So it's pretty obvious that it can be painful. Like alcohol causes huge issues. I mean, it doesn't take last week. Last week we had Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge here. I wasn't planning on doing this because of that. It just happened to work out this way. It was very, but like they're telling their stories of how life got wrecked and it was through addiction, most of them in some way. But it doesn't take that. Some of you, you might not have addiction issue, but you've seen alcohol impact you or somebody you care about in a negative way. It's caused problems. It's a big deal. We've got people in our life the same way. We quote it all the time. What does John 10, 10 say? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. And guess what? A lot of times he'll use alcohol in that process. It's just a reality. Like you know it because you've experienced it. You've seen it. He'll use it to destroy people. And so what does Scripture have to say on this side of the equation? Scripture has plenty to say about the dangers of alcohol. We already started like drunkenness like sin. We already got there. But I want to give some other wisdom that alcohol is referred to. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, we read this one earlier. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. It goes on in chapter 21 and says this. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. It goes on in 23 and says this. Do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. It goes on in chapter 23 again and says this. Who has woe? Listen to what this is making you hear. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. Who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. It goes on and says this. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, when it's looking all good. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. Going on says this. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, right? What does that sound like? Lying on top of the rigging. They hit me. You will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? And my guess is you've known somebody maybe that embodies this passage. But when I read this and it talks about it, it, it bites or stings like a viper. Um, we know it that alcohol is just dangerous. It just is. It's dangerous. There is potential within alcohol to have, make a huge impact in your life. I think alcohol is like knives salt, and cars. Although they might not inherently be evil, they can all kill you. If out of control, they can all actually take your life. They can affect your life negatively. And so you have to understand that you have to recognize this. It goes down in Proverbs chapter 31, and it says this. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. This is talking, this is King Lemuel in chapter 31, and he's talking to leaders. And why is he saying that? He's saying when you get involved with alcohol, it doesn't lead to good decision making a lot of the time. A lot of times it makes, it makes you make really poor decisions. It can lead you into places that maybe aren't wise for you. you got to be aware of that. 
And I think most of us understand that. Most stories, a lot of bad stories start with, so we were drinking and. Why is there the phrase, hold my beer? It means I'm about to do something stupid. Hold my beer while I go do it, right? Like there's these phrases that we use, okay? And I've sat across the table from people, and I'm sure you have as well. I've sat across the table from people who have made life-altering mistakes, and alcohol was involved. And we just know that. We recognize that. There is something dangerous here. And over and over and over again, Scripture will talk about the dangers of alcohol. And then you have the stories of poor decisions. Remember Noah and the ark? We all know Noah and the ark. Right? We tell that story to kids, right? Noah built the ark. He's the good guy, builds the ark. Animals two by two. We love it. Rainbow. This is a great story. Awesome. And what does he do when he gets off the boat? He plants a vineyard makes some wine, gets so drunk he runs around naked, and his kids find him and are utterly embarrassed. Read it. Genesis. Okay? There's a story of Lot, who is the nephew of Abraham. And what happens with Lot? It's a crazy story. Lot's two daughters get him completely drunk and get impregnated by him. Crazy. All right, then there's the story of Ammon, who is, who's killed while he's in a drunken stupor. And we've got King Elah and Ben-Hadad, the same thing happens to them. So you read all these passages and all this scripture, and it begins to be one of those questions like, eh, it seems like the Bible's saying alcohol is horrible. I should have no part in this thing. I should run away from this thing. It's not good. It's too dangerous. But then we come to Jesus and the wedding at Cana. And we have to deal with this. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, there's a, there's a wedding. This is in John chapter 2. You can go read it in John chapter 2. Jesus goes to a wedding. And in that wedding, it says that they run out of wine. Right? And, and Jesus' mom, mother, Mary grabs him and leads him. And says, hey, hey, you got to come deal with this. And Jesus is like, this is not my time. It's not my time. And as mothers usually are, she wins the argument. And she brings Jesus along. And so Jesus then says, okay, and he does a miracle. And what does he do? He turns water into wine. And a lot of people want to say, well, there's no way Jesus would have made alcoholic wine in that moment. Like he would not have done that. It had to have been something else. He wouldn't have done that, except that there was a pattern that would take place at, at weddings, at a party. What would they do? They would bring out, the first thing they bring out is the really good stuff, right? They bring out the good stuff, the really high-class stuff. And everybody would start to drink too much, and they would ultimately get drunk. And then after everybody's drunk, they bring out the cheap wine, okay? That's the way that they would do things. And this is what the master of the banquet says after Jesus has produced the wine. It says this in John chapter 2. Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And the master of the banquet probably knows what that means. The best of the best is the good stuff that they usually get drunk on. And so we just have to deal with this. This is what happened. Jesus did this. Okay. And there's another passage that we have to wrestle with. And this is found in Luke. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is saying this. For John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist, another amazing leader that came right before Jesus. For John the Baptist, neither, came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he's a demon. The Son of Man, which is Jesus, he's speaking of himself. I have come eating bread and drinking wine. This is a, you know, parallel phrase here. Eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What do we do with that? 
So you see, it's not as simple as like black and white, here's how you deal with this. And so what I want to do is I want to come to a big so what this morning, because I think this is a big so what that can help us in this situation, and it's a big so what that will help you in many areas in your life, all right? And here's the big so what for this morning. If you forget everything else, it's this. Should is a better question than can. Should is a better question than can. Let me give you some instance of that. All right. Financially, there are times where you can afford something that you shouldn't buy. You know what I'm saying? You have to, can I buy this? Yeah, you can. Should you? That's a different question. <laughs> like sometimes you should. Sometimes you should say no. Like this is, not, this is not a good thing for me to do right now. This is not the wise thing for me to do right now. The same thing is true with your calendars because some of you are real guilty of this. People ask, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you add this? Hey, can you take this on? Hey, can you volunteer in this thing? Hey, can you do those things? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. The better question would be, should I? Can I do it? Yes. But based on what I've already got going on in my life, based on the circumstances that I'm de dealing with, should I say yes to this? Sometimes that's a better question for us, okay? And so when it comes to alcohol, you ask the question, well, Greg, just tell me clearly, can I drink alcohol? Can I? Can I? If you're going to pin me against a wall and allow me one answer, the answer based on what we just read is yes. But I don't think that's the better question. The better question is, should you drink alcohol? And that's not something that I can answer for you. That's something for you and the Holy Spirit to walk through. That's something for you to wrestle, okay? But I'm going to help you here this morning, and I'm about to give you. You might not have taken any notes this morning. I know I gave a bunch of stuff. But I'm about to give you five questions that I think you need to write down at the end. You may just want to snap a picture because they're all going to be on the screen at the same time, okay? But I'm going to give you five questions. And young people, you can carry these questions with you the rest of your life. Because there are going to be moments in your life where there are things that you don't know. They're not necessarily black or white moments. Where you need to begin to ask the right question. And asking this, should I, is going to be very, very important to you, okay? And so we're going to do it through the lens of alcohol right now. But this is something you can take to every area of your life, all right? Question number one that you need to ask is this. Does it go against Scripture? Okay? In life, there are times like, does it go against Scripture? We've already had the conversation. Drunkenness, already talked about. Right? Should I have control of eating? Already talked about. Should I drink when I'm a kid? Nope. It's already talked about. We've already dealt with those things. Okay? Great. You get to the second question in life. Does it go against my conscience? Now pause for a second. Because some people will engage in behaviors. Like they'll say, oh, this relationship, I'm in this sexual relationship, but it's okay. It doesn't, my, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel any conviction about it. You've bypassed question number one. Okay? You got to go back to question number one first. Right? Does it go against Scripture? Because that's the first question you ask. Once we've dealt with that, if Scripture has not clearly articulated a position on that yet, okay, then we go to question number two. Does it go against my conscience? Now, why do I say that? There's a passage found in Romans chapter 14 where Paul's talking about something. And, and he, he says this, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person... It is unclean. It's this understanding that, that God will do something in your heart at times. He'll bring conviction in your heart at times. And so there are some of you here this morning that you listen to everything I say, and I'm like, I understand everything you're saying, Greg, but there's still something in my heart that says alcohol is not right, and I don't want to engage with that. Great, then you need to listen to that. 
You need to be responsive to the conviction that God has put in your heart. Okay? All right, we go on. The third question, and it's this. Does it hurt or endanger me? Does it hurt or endanger me? Another way to ask that question would be, is it wise for me? Is it wise for me? I heard somebody share this last week when they were sharing their story, and it's this, that every addiction story starts with one time I tried. Everyone. And so it's something that you just have to ask the question. Because there are times where it might, it might hurt me, or some of you know this, that when you engage in alcohol, you make other poor decisions. Some of you know that. Because it doesn't just, it's not just the alcohol, it's what comes with the alcohol that it produces in your life. And you say, you know what, it's not that I'm not even getting drunk, but it always results in me doing this or engaging in certain way or certain behaviors that are leading me the wrong direction. Okay, does it hurt or endanger me? That's a good question that you need to ask yourself and you need to wrestle with. I didn't ask for his permission, but sorry, Jackson. Ja so Jackson's one of our students. He just graduated high school. And uh, he shared in youth like two weeks ago. And he basically talked about this right here. It was so good. I love it, man. He got up and he was like preaching for 10 minutes, was preaching in front of our youth. It was so powerful. And he was talking about music. And he was talking about music. And he was saying, listen, guys, it's not like it's sin if you listen to certain music, but what is it doing to you? How is it changing the way you think? How is it changing the priorities of your life? Is it leading you the wrong way? He's asking the question, is it hurting you? Is it endangering your faith in some way? Then you need to cut that garbage out. It's not that you can't listen to it, but it's actually hurting you. And I would ask the same question as it results or it relates to alcohol or any other thing that you might be wrestling with. The question isn't, is it sin or is it not sin sometimes? Sometimes is, is this actually helping me? Is this wise for me? It's a question we need to ask. We get to question number four. It says, does it compromise loving others? Does it compromise loving others? There's a passage that I love about this, and, and this is one that if you've ever wrestled this whole topic, I think you've probably come to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is talking about this whole idea of food sacrificed to idols. That's what he's talking about. And if you're not familiar, back then they'd have the pagan religions, they'd have these idols, wood or metal, whatever. And as part of an offering to them, they would make food sacrificed to the idol, and then they would partake in that meal together. Okay, that's what would take place. And he said, he's like, Paul, I, I know that that idol's nothing. I know it's just wood. I know it's not a real thing. And the fact that they sacrificed the food to it is nothing. It really doesn't matter. So I can eat the food and it's no problem at all. But here's the problem. If I've got a new believer who just came out of paganism and worshiping those idols and they see me eating that food, it, they're going to look at that and suddenly they're going to be like, I don't know what I believe anymore. They're going to wrestle. And he says this in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Saying, listen, there's weaker people, and that's okay, but you need to recognize, make sure that your freedom, like, I got the freedom, I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever I want to. He's like, yeah, but don't let exercising your freedom be detrimental to somebody else. And he goes on and says this, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. See, what's our number one calling? After serving and worshiping and, and loving God with everything we got, our calling is to love others as Christ has loved us. And so it's a self-sacrificing, laying down our rights, laying down our desires, laying down what we want for the sake of another. That's what it looks like to love someone that way. 
And so we know this. Amber and I, we've had people very close in our life that after a few years, we comes out and realize they have actually been struggling with an addiction quietly to alcohol, and we didn't even know it. I would guess this morning you have people in your life that the same circumstances happen, and I would guess that there are people in this room right now who you are that person. You're struggling with an addiction to alcohol. Nobody even knows it. It stays in the secret, right? We don't talk about it. The problem is we don't know who those people are always. And sometimes exercising, well, I can drink alcohol, not a big deal. Sometimes exercising that may be hurting someone else that you don't even know. And so we just have to be aware of that. We have to ask the question, what is it producing? How is my behavior affecting another person? Am I loving others with the way that I live? This is something we have to think about. We've got to process. We've got to understand. So we come to the final question. I think this is the, this is the best question at the very end. It's this. In light of all this, how is the Holy Spirit leading me? In light of all this, in light of everything we've talked about, how is the Holy Spirit leading me? Not how is the Holy Spirit leading my neighbor? Not how are they leading somebody else? How is the Holy Spirit leading me? That's the call of us as followers of Christ. You know, we say we're a spirit-filled church because we are. We believe in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes we make decisions without ever consulting the Spirit. We just do what we want. We do what we think. We do what everybody else is doing. But are we actually responding to what is the Holy Spirit saying to me in this particular area? Paul wrote this. He says, don't be drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I think in that, he's not saying, don't touch alcohol. And instead, he's drawing a contrast that a lot of times we're looking to something else to fill us when he's saying, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to the wrong rivers. Like we're looking at the wrong, some of you, when you're stressed out, when you're overwhelmed, when you're going the wrong way, you're going for alcohol because you're like, that's the thing that'll make me feel better. And he's saying, don't run that way. It's going to make you dry. It's going to cause you to go the wrong direction. He's saying, run to me. Be filled with my spirit. I've got the things for you. I want to be your source. Like that's what he's saying to us. But when it comes to this issue, okay, what do we do? All right. Let's ask the questions. And then let's say, what is the Holy Spirit leading me toward? And here's what I know. There are some of you in the room here this morning that would say, you know what? Uh, I've never had an issue with alcohol. It's never been something, but I'll drink every once in a while. Not a big deal. I don't, I'm not addicted. I'm, you know, whatever. That's great. There's going to be some of you that will say, you know what? Maybe, maybe wisdom would say, I, there's some people in my life that I probably shouldn't drink around. Like, I just shouldn't do that because maybe, maybe that would be the right thing because I may be hurting somebody. I'm not loving somebody the way I'm responding to them, you know? Maybe I would recognize that there are some people I should stop drinking with because it's actually hurting me, you know? I'm not in an uncontrolled place, but it's actually hurting me. It's taking me the wrong way. It's changing my values. It's causing me to engage in things that are unhelpful. For some of you, you know, like, Listen, I can't have, let one drop touch my tongue because I know what it does to me. Some of you are there. Like you've had to completely cut it out because it takes you the wrong way. And that's what wisdom would say. For you, you're like, you know what? Other people might be able to do that. I've talked to many recovering alcoholics that way. Listen, other people might be able to, able to do that. I can't. If it touches my tongue, I'm gone. And so I just can't do it. I've got to cut it out of my life. And there's others of you here maybe this morning. You say, you know what? I've never drank. You know what? And I, I, don't, I don't think I need to, and I don't want to. That's great. But here's the challenge for you. 
is that can we be all, all be okay walking through this journey, recognizing that we all may not come to the same answer? Can we understand that? And then have grace for one another. Because there's some of you, through the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, walking through your life, you're going to come to a place where, like, alcohol is not a part of it. But if you're not, I'm not going to have any alcohol in my life. But if you're not careful, that can turn into a spiritual arrogance toward anybody who does allow alcohol to touch their lips. Okay? It can. And that arrogance is destructive. That's just as, that's more disgusting than the alcohol that's touching their lips. Okay? On the flip side, there's some of you that choose to say, you know what? I'm going to engage. I'm going to have alcohol here and there. All right, great. Okay? Can you not have a spiritual arrogance that says, oh, see, I'm, I'm mature enough that I can do it and it's not a big deal for those people who can't handle it. Can you get rid of your arrogance? And can all of us operate in a position of love, recognizing that amongst us, at any given time, in any given moment, there is somebody hurting. And right now, they may be dying inside because they're struggling. And I know it. Our church is filled. You might think, oh, look at these nice people. They're all cleaned up. No, we're all messed up, including me. <laughs> we all got issues. We all got struggles. There's things we're dealing with. And there are people every single Sunday that are here that are just dying. They're struggling. And can we recognize that? And operate in a posture of love and care and concern for other people? Can we live that way? You know, here at our church, we have a recovery ministry. And why is that? Because we know. And, and the, the best part is that there's been some people that walk into recovery ministry. Honestly, I've been like, oh, had no idea that was something you struggle with. And I'm really glad you're here. You know? It's, it's not the people you think always. Oftentimes, as a person, you would have no idea that struggling with alcohol or addiction in some way. But we have that ministry here because we know this is something that is painful and it hurts people. And so if you are struggling here in silence, you don't have to. There's a group who meets. They meet every Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8, except for this week, unfortunately, uh, because of mega sports camp. We have, they've got the building taken over. But next week, a week from Tuesday, 6.30 to 8, if that's something you wrestle with, I would encourage you to come. Be a part of this. Allow a community to come around you, Okay. But I want us to stand together here this morning. And my challenge for you here is this. Ask the questions. Ask the questions, okay? You can put the questions back up. You may need to snap a picture of this, and I would encourage you to do that, actually. Ask the questions. When it comes to alcohol, you might say, I've already made up my mind. I've already decided what I'm going to do with this. Great. I think it's still good to ask the questions. Because maybe the Holy Spirit wants to lead you somewhere different. Maybe he's going to speak something different that you haven't thought before that he hasn't led you in before, okay? Ask the questions. But maybe there's another area of your life, one of those other areas of gray that isn't like, is this black and white sin? I don't know. Maybe you need to ask the questions in that area and say, God, okay, where are you leading me in this specific thing? Maybe it is something financially with your time, with something else going on in your life. Would we allow this to be something that guides us? That at the end of the day, that we aren't just saying we're spirit-filled people, we actually would live full of the spirit and led by him in everything that we do. Can we do that? And so as we close this morning, again, I told you I was going to give you more questions and answers probably, and you probably got some wrestling to do, and that's a good thing because I think every time we give the Holy Spirit room to speak, he's going to speak. He's going to lead, okay? But can we do something together? I'm going to invite you just to put yourself in a posture of, re of reception as I just want to pray over you. Just pray that God would fill us in a new way. Father, we thank you so much that, God, this faith thing isn't just a, 
quote-unquote spiritual moments, but God, you desire to engage in every area of our life, even the practical stuff like this. And so, Lord, I'm praying right now across every hand that is lift up. God, I pray just an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I pray the leading of the Holy Spirit. I pray a filling of the Holy Spirit. God, that we would come to overflowing. God, that we wouldn't be those like everybody else that just figure stuff out in our own minds, but we would be those who are submitted to you and leaning on you and desperately seeking your wisdom in every area of our life. And God, I pray right now there are people in this, in this room, God, who have been enchained by alcohol and addiction. God, I am asking in the name of Jesus, you'd give a courage to step up and say, that's me and I need some breaking right now. God, I pray that supernaturally you would cut off chains that are wrapping hearts, that are wrapping family members, that are wrapping situations. I pray for marriages that are toxic because of what alcohol and addiction has done. God, would you bring freedom in the name of Jesus in this place? God, I pray against religious spirits where there are chains of religious spirit. God, would you break that in the name of Jesus? Father, set us free, God, that we would operate in the freedom that you've made available for us, God. And Lord, as we walk out of this room, it wouldn't just be business as usual, but God, we would be those who step out and say, Holy Spirit, how are you leading me? Not what do I think, not what does the world think. Holy Spirit, how are you leading me in this? God, we pray that in the name of Jesus, that we be filled to overflow this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen, amen. I'm going to invite our prayer team forward. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, please come receive prayer. Uh, we, want to, we want to come around you. For everyone else, no, we love you. We care about you. And if addiction is an area of need for you, please reach out. We want to come around you this week, all right? We love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you back next Sunday.